Welcome to the Cornerstone Pickwick Sermon Discussion Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into the previous week's sermon and explore thoughts and ideas that we didn't have time for in the sermon. My name is Jamie Wellman, one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And I'm Steve Minter, one of the pastoral candidates here at Cornerstone. If you haven't heard the sermon yet, you can find it online at cornerstonepickwood.org forward slash resources. Today we'll be discussing the sermon entitled, Behold Your God from Isaiah chapter 40. Pray it is Makes no difference to me. Don't know where I want to go. I'm just driving blind. Stephen Minter, I think this sermon is and will be the best sermon our people have ever heard in this church. I have just had the privilege of hearing it. We're recording this a few days before you're going to preach it, and um, because I won't be here, sadly, I won't be here for the best sermon this, the people have ever heard, and uh, I just heard it previewed, and I got to say, uh, my friend, well done, and golly, it was good. What? What a great job. So hear I, that from I me first. I hope you're not well overselling that. I, <laughs> well... Just the subject matter alone. The subject matter is really, really good. So long as I can stay out of the way of the subject matter, we'll be we'll be doing good. Well, if, at this point, I, I can't say we'll be because when people are listening to this, they've already heard it. So yeah. it's not, so long as I have stayed out of the way, we'll say yeah. that. Well, if you do on Sunday what you just did here, um, I just got to say there the experience of hearing it preached of hearing it read is it's like wave after wave after wave of God's greatness just hits you and as you hear it and then you 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 draw it out of the text and then you you lay it over us we hear it and then as our brains and hearts are processing it the next wave comes and it leaves you this just like dizzy sense of who is this God that mm-hmm. is the subject of this chapter? And I have to think that Isaiah 40 is going to be something like what it will be like to be in God's presence for the first time. The, the, the moment that you, you, the instant moment that you think that you've kind of experienced it, a new experience hits you that is just even bigger, which not only is different from the one that you just experienced. It just builds upon the one you just experienced. And then as you're realizing that and that it's building, another one comes and it just mm-hmm. it's just piling upon you. So it, it kind of makes me think of, I, I just finished going through all seven Narnia books with the kids, which that was that was my goal. I want to do it in a year. Well, we're, we're uh, right now this is Memorial Day, so it's May 25th and we're done. So that, that's, that's cool. But that, that last book, it's called um, the last battle, the last couple chapters, and so it's it's basically talking about heaven. And there's there's they keep using this this phrase in there called further up and further in, right? And so um, what they're seeing is is everything is a world within a world within a world, and it's like the the way Mr. Tumnus, the the fawn, who is from the very first book, um, the way he's describing it to Lucy when they're talking is like it's like an onion. But every layer you peel off, the layer underneath is bigger. The layer underneath is bigger. And that's when we start reading Isaiah chapter 40, you start reading this and you just start letting it wash over you like you're saying. 
every time you learn something about God, he gets bigger the next time you learn something about him. He's just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, I further up and further in. Yeah. Oh man. You, and you just did such a great job of, of drawing out the bigness elements of God. And I also love that you, you kind of intertwined this text with your own testimony. I think that was a powerful point. It was a powerful point for me. Having known you and known your family, I love hearing how the Lord has used the revelation of himself to draw you to himself. And, and, and I wanted to ask your, um, your thoughts about this. Isaiah 40, if anything, is a picture of the bigness of God. Mm-hmm. And why is the bigness of God not something that pushes us away? Why is the bigness of God something that's not like, you know, you would think that w- w- when we talk about the holiness of God, the word holy just means different from us, other than us. Why is that not something that would make us be like, well, if he's like that, then I just don't want, like, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not interested in that, you know? Why is the bigness of God such a comfort to us? Well, I, I, I think it's... It, it, why would you want a comforter who is like you? Honestly. Why, why, why would you, you want the... If you're going to pray... So in, in the passage, it's not something I, I, I speak on because it's just, just, just not enough time. It talks about you, you're making an idol and you're going to use chains to fasten it down. You're going to use a wood that's not going to rot because you're worried. Okay. You're worried that your God might rot away from the place that you fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want your God? Like, obviously God needs to be big. (laughs) Like, but at the same time, we have a small God theology so often. Yeah. And it, 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 I don't, like yes, that's that's something that draws. When we hear the glory of God proclaimed to us, it it calls us into that. Mm-hmm. But if you're not a believer and you're hearing and seeing, truly hearing and seeing the glory of God, and you're entrenched in your sin, it's going to drive you away. Yeah. So I I, I think about the story of um, Jesus calming the storm. So you have. Um, Jesus and his disciples are in their boat, and Jesus falls asleep, and the storm comes up, and they're all feeling like they're going to drown. And they wake him up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And uh, so Jesus stands up, and he says, peace, be still. And it stops. It's like glass, and it's the storm stops. He, he speaks to nature, and it listens to him. He's supernatural. He's above nature at that point. And what does it say? It says they were afraid. Of the storm, they're fearing for their life. Jesus speaks, and it says they were very afraid. Mm-hmm. And Peter said, and "So the first time Peter meets Jesus, what does he say?" Jesus says, "Cast your net on the other side." And he's like, "We've been fishing all night. You're a carpenter. You're gonna tell me how to fish now? But for your, for you, just for you, I'm gonna throw my net in the water. Throws his net in the water on the other side of the boat because obviously fish." Stay on one side of the boat or the other. <laughs> he throws his net on the other side. Every of the boat. fisherman it's, knows that it's full, like to the brim. It's like sinking their boat. Yeah. And Peter says, he doesn't say, "Wow, I'm going to take you fishing with me all the time." No, he says, "Get away from me. I'm unholy. I'm unworthy. I can't be with you. You're too great for me." Yeah. 
the, 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 the greatness of God r- repels us in our sin, but draws us to himself when we've had that new, new creation and we're, we're in Christ. Yeah. The illustration that's always stood out to me um, came from some years ago when my youngest son was uh, maybe three or four years old and um, there was a thunderstorm and it was an unusual thunderstorm. And he was on one side of the house and I was on the other side of the house. And uh, a great big, one of those like window rattling thunders happened. And I'm in the living room and he's in the office and it hits and boom, the house is shakes. And I never had to tell him, you know, when he's three years old, Ethan, when you get scared, come running to daddy. Mm-hmm. But the moment that that thunder hit, his fat little three, three-year-old three legs go running and sprinting down the hallway, and he comes running to me on the couch. And the reason is because he knows daddy's safe. I never had to teach him that daddy's safe because daddy picks him up. Daddy can swing him around. Mm-hmm. Daddy, to- daddy tosses him on the bed. You know, daddy opens jars. Dad can do all of the things he can't do. Yeah. And so the the bigness of God is the thing that's such a comfort to us. The, something that I, I have thought about a lot, and I'd remind myself of this, is the difference between an infinite God and finite people is infinity. So, so infinite infinity is not primarily predominantly now but in its in its or- origination wasn't a mathematical concept it was a philosophical concept so infinity was this never beginning never ending and the difference between something that never begins and never ends it's it's eternal it's it's infinite not finite the difference between that and something that is finite is it's same thing. It's is infinite. Yeah. And that's that's the difference between us and God. It's not he's like a bigger version of us. He's wholly other than us. Hmm. He's com- he's something completely different than anything that we can imagine in and of ourselves. Yeah. Well, you made that point in the second point. Um which is to say that this is who God is and this is who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's uh, you see that in the text is that this is who God is, and we're not like that. All the things that God is, we're the, we, we are not that. Yeah, we are not that. We are creatures, and he is creator. Yes. And that yes. distinction, as you said, is an infinite one, which I think this was the most impactful part of the message, was the last part. Because you did such a good job of saying, if that's true, if Isaiah 40 reveals who God truly is, and if Isaiah 40 reveals who we truly are, mm-hmm. then what in the world do we make of this God wrapping himself in humanity and becoming a man? Yeah. I, I was moved when uh, you, you went through all of that. That the infinite God became, he condescended, this kind of, this kind of distinction between the imminence of God and the trans- transcendence of God, of the man, who, the, the God whose hand measures the universe is the same hand that was nailed to the cross for our sake. The one who is unlimited became limited. Mm-hmm. And this turns upside down 
our expectation of who God would be. Yeah. We would not expect a God to act like that. Like, there's a sense in which, um, I could get fired for saying this, but there's a sense in which uh, I resonate with Islam. I resonate with the fact that you have a God who is so distant, so far, you can't understand him, you can't know him, you can't have a relationship mm-hmm. with him. The, the very thought and idea that he has a son is repulsive. The very thought and idea that he is loving in the way that like he pours himself out for others, mm-hmm. that's repulsive. And that's, the, that's the essence of Islam. The, the, yeah, the God of the God of the Quran is is completely different, completely other, um, and he's in a lot of ways because of that he's completely arbitrary. So, like when we're looking at the forgiveness of God, this is one of my points: is in in the Islamic system, um, you see the arbitrariness of the forgiveness of Allah. So there's a there's a historian in the Hadith. The Hadith literature is a is a is a, a set of literature that interprets the Quran for us, helps us understand what the Quran is saying because the Quran's very short. It's like a quarter, a half or a quarter the length of the New Testament, so it's not very long. And there's this story where there's a guy who kills ninety nine people, and so in in that system, he sin he deserves hell. Well, he he goes to a village to fu- to talk to uh, a, a holy man. To find out, I can't remember. I think it's a priest. To find out how he can be, he, he can go to heaven, and so the that guy tells him, "Well, you," I, I can't remember exactly what the guy tells him. I can't remember the, what the, how the story plays out, but he ends up killing that guy because he doesn't like his answer. Now he's at, now he's killed a hundred people, so there's no way he can be saved. And so the somebody tells him, "Well, go to this village, this town, and there'll be somebody there who can help you." And so he's traveling there. Well, as he's traveling there, his his days, his final day comes up. He's not going to make it there because they, they believe in this, uh, a deterministic view. It's called uh, Qadar. And they believe that um, your your days are written. So his his time's up. And so there's, a, there's an angel of life and there's an angel of death that come to take his soul and take him. And they're, they're going to haggle over over his soul. Well, the angel of death says, well, this dude's killed 100 people. He, there's no way he can go to heaven. And the angel of, of life is like, well, let, let, let me, the angel of death talks, life talks to God and says, talks to Allah and says, what can we do? And God says, tell what, if the space between him and the village he's going to is shorter than the space from him and the last person he killed or the place where he's come from, he gets to go to heaven. Well, it was, he was much closer to where he was coming from than where he was going. So obviously he's going to have to go to hell. So what Allah does arbitrarily, just because, you know what, I'm going to forgive this guy, he shrinks the space of ground between where he's going and, and where he's at so that he's one, one cubit closer. He's just a little bit closer to where he's going so that way he can go to heaven. There's no justice there. Yeah. There's no one taking the penalty of that sin. Mm-hmm. And we see, we see the people in this passage having, they, they take the responsibility of your sin. But what we know now as where we're at in redemptive history, Christ has taken that sin for us. You know, there's, the, the, that's the thing about forgiveness. It is in Christ that we see the forgiveness of God on display, but it's held in perfect harmony with his justice because the penalty of that sin has been met. 
but it was met in Christ if we're in Christ. Yeah. Well, and, and, and just the fact that God would become a man and, and subject himself mm-hmm. to sinners, like nailing him to the cross. Yeah. Limiting himself. He, at any point on the cross, Christ could have crawled down uh, a thousand angels to defend himself. But he remained on the cross to bear the penalty of sinners, to give them grace they didn't deserve, and mercy that they couldn't earn. And this su- subjecting himself to weakness is actually a sign of his greatness. Well, and, and we, it says in the New Testament, I can't remember the, 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 the reference, but Paul says in the New Testament that it is through Christ that all things hold together. All things are created by him, and through him, all things hold together. So Christ is holding together. This is that eminence that we're ta- that I talk about. So Christ is holding together all of creation. At the moment of the death of Christ, he is dying for our sins while still holding all of creation together. Mm-hmm. Those two things are happening simultaneously. Yeah. But you it- can see... There's earthquakes and there's darkness and the, the, the temple curtain is rent in half all at the same time. And there's this strange passage in Matthew where the graves are open and the, and the dead are walking around the city for several days, whatever. But at the, at the moment of his death, he is both holding all things together so that the, the universe doesn't implode and he's dying as a man on a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Yeah, we would just never make up a God like this. We would just no. not no, make no, no, a no, God. No. We would make a God like Allah, who's arbitrary, who is um, just basically a superhero version of ourselves. He has all of the strengths that we have mm-hmm. and none of the weaknesses that mm-hmm. we have. That's who we would create. We would we never create cre- a God who is holy. We would never do that. We would never create a God who became like us who suffered in the way we suffer. And yet that's what, who we have in Jesus. And I, I, I know I said this already, but that was to me the most moving part of your message because you're helping us to see that the, the, the God of Isaiah 40, who does hold the universe in the span of his hand, is the same God who wrapped himself in human form and became a baby and nursed at his mother's breast. That he was dependent upon others. And he who holds everything together was dependent on likely a teenage girl for life. Yeah. And another thing that I, I wish I had, I had more time to bring out is the Trinitarian nature. Because we see so much about... We, we obviously see direct um, connection between who Christ is and Christ's ministry in this passage. But we also see... God the Father shining through in this passage. You know, he's, he's the God who is choosing us. He's the God who's he's the creator. You know, all these things that we, we know of God the Father from, from other passages. We also see the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit's our comforter. The Holy Spirit is, it says that uh, in, in the one verse where it says, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Who has tested the Spirit of the Lord? Who's tested God the Holy Spirit? And and just to, to judge and see if he's up to par. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is it's we see the, the 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 glory of God is displayed in Christ, which is something that I talked about. But we we 
also see the other members of the Trinity at work showing the grandeur of who God is in this. It's stupendous, man. And in your heart for this passage, your heart for the bigness of God comes through in your message. And I just thought you did such a good job of communicating it. Um, why, why, in our day, we, we, we have that, uh, that phrase, big God theology. And, mm-hmm. and I think... Like you, I think that was one of the things that drew me to uh, a reformed understanding of uh, of reading scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that the God is central, and that you know I grew up in in church environments in which, you know, I, and I would never have said this, but the impression that was left was that man was the center, like the human, the individual person was the center of the message of the Bible. So, like all the all the stuff in the Bible is about me and my personal relationship with the Lord. Whereas what I think. You, what is true of Scripture is that the main character is God. God mm-hmm. is the main character. It's His revelation of Himself. Why is small theology? I don't want to use that in a disparaging way, but maybe I do. Why is small God theology so popular in our day? It just seems in in a lot of churches. Not to name any churches. I want to be kind here uh, because I don't think people mean to do this. But why is it that small God theology, the kind that you talked about in the message when you mentioned, you know, kind of Jesus is my boyfriend, kind of this personal relationship with God, which isn't wrong, but... It's, it, it's completely right that Jesus is personal. God is personal. But the personal nature of God, you must hold that in contrast to the bigness of God. I mean, my one-sentence summary is something that I stole from uh, from a guy that I heard preach several years back, probably, probably eight, nine years ago now. And it was, uh, great big God, itty-bitty every other thing. Mm-hmm. Itty-bitty EOT, I love every it. other thing. So we, we, in order to really understand what it means that God is personal, we have to understand who how big God is. But it, the church has been focused for years on this personal God. God is yeah, and that, that's my question. God. Like, why? why? Why is that so much more attractive to us? How did we get here? You read the reformers from the, you know, 16th, 17th, 18th century, and it's it's a lot of the, like, like big God theology that we're talking about. But then you start getting into the 19th century, 20th century, and you start seeing this personal element, which, as you said, isn't wrong, why, why are we so much more attracted to a small God than a one like we see in Isaiah 40? I think it's because it's something that we can handle. You know, there's this great line in uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, which is the chronologically, it's the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia series. And uh, there, it's um, three, the three of the, the Pevensey kids. So you have... Um, Peter and and Susan and Lucy and Edmund has has gone off to the White Witch and they're they're eating dinner with uh, or, or they're they're sitting there after supper talking with the beavers and uh, they're they're talking about and just what's going on and and somebody and Mr. Beaver says Aslan is on the move and all the kids they have no idea who Aslan is but they know that just hearing his name is comforting Aslan obviously is a picture of who Christ is and. Uh, so, so they're sitting here, and in, in, so they ask, well, well, who's Aslan? And he says, he starts talking about how he's the lion. And Lucy says, oh, he's a lion? Is he safe? And Mr. Mr. Beaver, the, he, I love Mr. Beaver. He says, 
Safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. And and like that, I, I think God isn't safe. God isn't tame. He's not a tame lion. You can't tame him. No. No, you can't you can't you can't domesticate this God. God. No. Yeah. And I think the the small God theology is in an effort to domesticate God. I mean, and, and I understand to a point people because when you start getting into big God theology, you can start using a lot of big God terminology, right? So, I mean, I mentioned transcendence and eminence, right? And I use the word immense, or we have the word eternal. So does that mean he's lives for all time, or does that mean he's outside of time? Eternal means he's outside of time. And so then you, you could use words like uh, omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, or... We see that he is uh, supernatural. He's outside of creation, or he's asse. So he's um, he he's self-sustaining kind of thing. And so you can get into all these big words, and and people are like, well, okay, I I, I just I, I'm not going to be able to understand all of that big 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 theological words. Just give it to me something simple that I can grab a hold of. Mm-hmm. And I think the church, in an effort to help their people understand who God was without getting into the the academic ivory tower type thing, which can get very dry very quickly if you're not careful. If you're if you're separating right orthodoxy from right orthopraxy, which is something that we talked about a couple right understanding of who God is versus right practice in living out what God has revealed, it, it can become very dry. If it's not if, if your understanding of theology and who God is, theology means study of God. Mm-hmm. So if, if your understanding of, of theology is divorced from your worship, it can become very, very dry, very academic. And I think that's what happened. And so people, people are like, eh, this is just so dry. I, I, there's got to be something more than just this dry big words and hard to understand academic stuff. And so we started moving into this, looking at the, the, the tenderness of God and the forgiveness of God and these personal things about God. But I think, and that resonates with us because we need, we don't need a God who is deistic, a God who, who he creates the universe, gets it going and then steps back and watches it, watches it do its thing. A God who is separate from us. We need a God who is who is eminent? Who is working in and around within his creation? Um, we we can't have a God who's just transcendent. That would be the God of Islam. But we can't have a God who's just eminent, who's only eminent, who's only in creation. We need a God who's outside of it all. Mm-hmm. We need a God who's both. Yeah. And so I think people, I think the what the the attractional thing about small God theology is it's something we can we can wrap our fingers around we can understand it yeah well there's I don't remember if it was uh, one of one of the other uh, discussions you and I had um, was about um, open theism mm-hmm. about how that God has an idea of the future but he's not in control of the future mm-hmm. and that's attractive to us because um, that's how we are and if if I have a personal God who is uh, very much like me, and that he feels the same things that I feel, and he thinks about things in the same way I think about mm-hmm. them. Well, then um, he is safe. He's not going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. He's not going to. He's not going to call me to deny myself, really, 
because that would be denying himself because we're kind of the same. And so there is an attractiveness to bringing God down mm-hmm. here, um, which it, 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 and I think it plays well from, in, in, on, on, from the, the platform because there's Bible verses to support God coming down to be like us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that Romans 1 kind of concept. It's this recognition that God is creator and that we are creature and yeah. that you did such a great job in in this this chapter of, of showing that our creatureliness is very much a part of this chapter. But then the main point of it all, it would seem to me, is where where Isaiah 40 starts and where Isaiah 40 ends. You have this immense, massive God, and this whole chapter starts off with comfort, my people. This Speak is a comfort. tenderly. Speak tenderly. Says God. Yeah. And then at the end, this just whole bit about um, renewing our strength and giving us strength to keep running. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's that's the thing. Like if God is like me, I'm not going to worship him. I get bored with myself. Yeah. He would be boring, but he has to be transcendent and that's what we see in Isaiah 40. Yeah. Transcendence. Well done, brother. Really well done. I'm I'm just really blessed and having heard it, I can't wait to hear the feedback from folks who who listen to it. Well, I mean, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we discussed today, head on over to cornerstonepickwood.org and click on the contact us link. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Cornerstone Pickwood. If you don't have a home church, we gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. or 9.30 or 11 or sometime we gather. You can find directions. Just on, look on our Facebook page. Just look on the Facebook or page. Or Instagram. Wherever. Or Twitter. <laughs> find us. Find out when we meet. Just show up sometime on Sunday. Someone will be here. Grace and peace. Amen.